first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, and you are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, and yeah, listen, I know that I'm putting this out on Tuesday evening, and for many of you, you might not get to it till Wednesday, but it's still a mailbag edition. And if you want to get involved in a mailbag edition, a mailbag episode of this fine show that we do each week, even if we don't always get to it on Monday, here's how you do it. Just send me a tweet at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me one whenever you're thinking of a Blazer-related question. You don't have to wait. But if you do wait on Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time, I send out a tweet soliciting user-submitted questions. You can respond to that tweet and I will get your question in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't want to tweet, you can email the show at LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. It's also a good avenue for those folks who are a little long-winded in their questions. And now, without further ado, the mailbag. This first question comes from Jonathan J. Sass on Twitter who asks, Is your opinion changing on a, of Mellow at the Three? Or to give a dude too many nicknames, Summer Mellow. As an aside, before I read the rest of your question, Summer Mellow is a better nickname than Skinny Mellow, because Skinny Mellow is some sort of uh, body-shaming territory that I don't care for. In any case, Jonathan continues, I feel like I'm optimistic about everything with them right now because I've been starved for hoops for so long. So... I think the best way to answer this question is yes. I my, my opinion has changed on Carmelo Anthony at the three. Uh, I still think the Blazers are going to be slow in transition defense, and that's going to be a, a problem for them when the games matter. But in terms of the eight games to get into the playoffs, the the seeding games as they're known, um, I, I don't think it's that bad of an idea. I, I think considering their roster, this is the best way to maximize their talent, get the most talented players on the court. At the same time, um, I I will admit I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit just seeing Carmelo's uh, physical transformation. He looks like someone who said, okay, I'm going to play small forward. I better look the part or, you know, work out to play to change my body a little bit because my job is changing a little bit. I think that has made me um, a little more optimistic about their chances. I don't really like their chances when they have to play the Lakers in the opening round of the playoffs should they get that far. But in terms of the seeding games yeah I'm, I'm I think I have changed my tune a little bit and I think it's totally fine that Carmelo's going to play the three because you know what else are they going to do next question comes from Logan Gillis at Logan Gillis on Twitter who asks pick one Blazers player you think will exceed fan expectations and one you think won't play up to the current hype level among the fan base this was hard for me because I don't think I'm super tuned in to fan expectations in terms of uh in terms of exceeding them, like I don't know who's, I don't know who people are down on. I guess like not, not having the games every night, I'm not clued in on on what people are thinking. But I'll say exceeding expectations, Hassan Whiteside. That might sound weird for me if you've listened to this podcast before, but I think we're forgetting that Hassan Whiteside's pretty good. Um, he's got real flaws. I point them out all the time, but he's also like pretty good. And playing backup center might even accentuate how actually good he is even more. Won't play up to expectations. I, this one was hard for me. Uh, I'm going to go with Gary Trent Jr. because I think the expectations heaped on him are a little bit high. I think I think he won't live up to them just because the bar has been raised too high. Not that I think he'll have a bad Orlando, but I, I, I kind of can see a reasonable situation where Gary Trent Jr. isn't like a, 
like a high level starting caliber small forward and I think that's what he's being painted as right now so he could be like a good role player and not meet current expectations but again I'm I think I might I don't think I have a great grasp on what fan expectations are so if you think I got it wrong you know where to find me at Mike G Rich on Twitter this next question comes from James in Beaverton via Gmail, but James gave himself a fun radio name and has stuck with it while asking several questions via email. James asks, Jack Nicholson has held his iconic seat for the Lakers for years at Lakers home games. One day he'll retire that seat. Which LA star do you think should fill it? Even more importantly, who should be the Portland's Jack Nicholson? Katie Lang, the Unipiper? Uh, let me, I'll just go, I'll fly through the Laker part and we'll get to the Blazer part. Denzel Washington, that's my pick. For the, for the Blazers, I think Katie Lang is the most famous Blazer fan who regularly attends games. Uh, Dave from Dave's Killer Bread, that's, that might be too local of a reference. If you're outside of Portland, you might not know Dave from Dave's Killer Bread. But Dave from, Dave from Dave's Killer Bread had courtside seats two seasons ago and was at probably 25 home games. Um, there's another like rich fan that sits down on the court named Ron Sloy, who was made famous by being called really tanned Ken on TNT, but those aren't my picks. My pick is Katie Lang. And this, um, even though I kind of know this person, I think this would just be a more fun choice. Ian Carmel would be a wonderful Jack Nicholson type. Um, I don't think he listens to this podcast, but, uh, Ian, you're my choice for the, for the Blazers celebrity fan. I think you'd be good at it. Okay, next question comes from Kareem Delgado at Kareem Delgado on Twitter who asks, Bench production has been a huge problem for us this season. How do you feel the team's adjustments and additions correct for that? Do you agree it's likely we will see a lot of heavy minutes continue to be concentrated on our starters or will we stagger them? I think the answer to that last question is both. Uh, The starters are going to play a lot and they're going to be staggered. What uh, Terry Stott switched to after Christmas, it might have been after the new year, it might have been in January, but I think it was right after Christmas. Sorry for using a Christian holiday as a marker, but December 25th is also an NBA holiday. They play a lot of games on that day, so it's a big marker. Um, but sometime in that range, in the like 30 games into the season range, he Terry Stott switched the rotation a little bit, so uh, CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony came out earlier, and then they would come back and play with the second unit, and that would give the second unit a little more pop um, and not put as heavy pressure on Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons, and at the time, Kent Bazemore, to carry that squad, um, to carry that unit. And I think that's what we'll see. I think CJ will come out early and come back and play de facto backup point, um, just because he's he's way better than Anthony Simons. You can't rely on, on Simons as much in these games because they just matter so much. And it puts Carmelo again against backups, and I think that's a little bit better. Allows maybe Carmelo to play minutes next to us on Whiteside, or... but. I think there's some questions about how the big man rotation works, but I do think CJ plays a bunch with that second unit. The adjustments and the additions, I don't know if they'll totally correct for bench production. I think that's a fair concern to still have, but I think what will correct for bench production is like Terry said that like guys are going to play heavy minutes and he's going to shorten the rotation. And I think that shorting, shortening the rotation and saying these are the seven dudes who can help and these are the seven dudes who are going to play, that might be the big correction they make for having uh limited options off the bench next question comes from big j at juicy moose 3424 on twitter who asks rank who will play the most minutes orlando between wenyan Nas, horde and adams I, how come the first two guys got first names and the next two guys got last names you feel like you don't know jalen horde and uh jalen adams too well 
I guess he didn't want to go double Jalen. I figured it out. Wow, that's that's pretty embarrassing. If I had a co-host, they would roast me for being this stupid and not picking up on the double first name thing. But um, in any case, between Wenyan Gabriel, Nazir Little, Jalen Horde, and Jalen Adams, I'm going to say Nazir Little plays the most minutes followed by, this is tough, but I'll go Wenyan Gabriel, and then I'll say Jalen Adams over Jalen Horde. And I'm only saying that not because I think Jalen Adams is going to be part of the plan, but because they have less dudes who can play point guard, and maybe that there is a foul trouble situation in which Jalen Adams has to play some minutes in some game. And because Jalen Horde plays mostly front court positions, um, three and four, I just think the Blazers have other options ahead of him, including the other two guys, Wenyan Gabriel and Nazir Little. So Nas, Wenyan, Jalen Adams, Jalen Horde. That's my my best guess. All right, second segment, coming back, answering more of your questions on this Mailbag Monday. Mailbag episode. I know it's not Monday. Apologies. All right. Let's keep it rolling here on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Jonathan at JSass on Twitter. Jonathan asks, There's been plenty of video of Hassan Whiteside and Yusuf Nurkic bombing threes leading up to the scrimmage. Is there any real chance they try to give one or both of them the green light from deep if teams double and triple team Dame? We'll get there, but hold on. Adam Nakamura asks, at Adam Naka28 on Twitter asks, over under on Nurk averages 1-3 a game made. I'm going to go under on Nurk's made threes per game. But I am going to, in answer Jonathan's question, yeah, I think they're going to shoot threes. I don't think they're going to shoot a lot of threes. But I think based on the the random video I've watched of basically that the Blazers have posted on social media. Um, I do think they're going to shoot some threes. They're going to space a little bit to shoot threes when they set those high, those higher screens, particularly Nurk. I don't really think Hassan Whiteside's going to do it. And I did see a pretty funny video of, of the Blazers posted of each of them shooting a three while the other one was like below the free throw line. Like, shoot it, dog. Like, go ahead and shoot it. I dare you. Um, not like yelling at him, but the body language suggested that. So I'm going to say under on made threes a game. I'm going to say Nurk averages 0.7 made threes per game. I just pulled that one out of my butt. But yeah, I do think they're going to shoot some more threes than you want. Um, I haven't, I, they're, Nurk, Yusuf Nurkic is a good jump shooter, but he's, he's a slow release. And if he shoots threes, he's not doing what he does best. So I don't love it. Next question comes from B Max. At BMAXPDX on Twitter who asks, How much fun would it have been to have Evan Turner in the bubble? BMAX also notes that they ignored my request to not call it a bubble, but everyone's allowed to do what they want. Would it have made for more goofy Blazers content? I think I've learned that the Blazers aren't as obsessed with fishing like the rest of the NBA. Yeah, it does seem like every NBA team is fishing other than the Blazers. Uh, I try to think of a good reason for that, and I don't really have... I mean... the. They have some dudes who are from big cities, like Zach Collins is from Vegas. Uh, Damian Lillard is from, like, urban Oakland and not um, rural California, rural East Bay. But in any case, that doesn't mean that they couldn't have picked up the hobby of fishing at some point in their lives, doing something else. So I think it's just um, personal preference. Uh, Blazers are not—the rest of the league seems to be getting in on that bass fishing and the Blazers. They're either doing it without— 
any video evidence or they aren't into it. And the Evan Turner thing, yeah, I think he would um, he would up the Blazers' goofy content because he's really goofy. Right now, I think their leader in the clubhouse for goofy internet stuff has been Hassan Whiteside by a mile. Uh, there was a video of him I saw today singing Jesse's Girl, the uh, Rick Springfield classic from 1981. It's not even really a video of Hassan Whiteside singing it. He sings a little bit of the chorus, and then he kind of just like walks through from outside into his hotel room while playing it on his phone. It's a good video. That's a goofy video. The Blazers are up in their goofy content a little bit, thanks to Hassan. But yeah, for the most part, we haven't seen them really do goofy stuff and certainly haven't seen them fish. Next question comes from Joey Pushk at BlazerFan000 on Twitter who asks, who's going to be the biggest X factor for the Trailblazers? So I I know that this question uh, implies role player, right? Like I know that X factor means a non non star, non non headliner who kind of changes the game by being this X factor you didn't count on. But I like I want to do a more literal read. The like most important factor for the Blazers in the bubble is that Damian Lillard is one of the best five players in the NBA. He's the X factor. He's going to lead them. You win the games with talent. And the Blazers X factor is that there have been playoff or postseason type game series in the past where Dame has been shut down, where he's had nice games, but maybe he's been a little bit inefficient, or maybe he's been shut down for, I'm thinking against the Nuggets, where he'd have two good quarters and two bad quarters. That, that's, that's not going to work out for them. If, 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 the, if the Blazers are going to get where they want to go, if they're going to make noise when if they're going to get into the playoffs and make noise when they get there, it's going to be because their best player played really well. So while this is maybe not the right answer or maybe not the the question you asked, my X factor for the Blazers is that their best player plays at his highest level. Next question comes from Jonathan at JSAS on Twitter, getting your third question in the show, Jonathan. Look at you, everyone you asked, making copy. Jonathan asks, do you think the Blazers have an advantage of sorts rolling out a talented lineup that no team has ever played against before? Most teams are going to be pretty similar to what they were, but these new look Blazers might be tough to plan against. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. I I think there is, I don't know if it's going to be this huge, huge advantage because by the time they play eight games, the team that they're going to, if, you know, if they get to the play in round or they get beyond the play in round, there's that's 10 games worth of film to watch. But I think early on, um, I think there's a real advantage to it. Who knows, like not only just what they're going to look like and, and, but what are the rotations going to be? Are they going to be super big? How how, are they going to downsize and go small? They, They have some, I think they can do some wrinkles. That said, I don't think the offense is going to change that much. I think they're going to run Terry Stotts' flow offense that looks like some player movement around the perimeter, some flare screens to get guys moving side to side with a little bit of screen action. And then that would break. And when that breaks down, they run a high pick and roll with Damian Lillard. I don't think that I don't think they're going to do crazy stuff on offense. You do what you do best. But I do think there's something to be said for teams being uncertain kind of how to prepare their specific game plans to a team that will have completely new rotations, completely new lineup, and all those things that you suggested. So yeah, I think there's some advantage there. All right, third segment, come close out the show with more of your questions. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. 
and you're still listening to Lockdown Blazers, and we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Let's not lose the momentum. Let's keep it going right here. This next question comes from Hotai Kim, who asks, excuse me, Hotai underscore Kim 97 on Twitter, who asks, if you could have kept one person from last season, Alfred Aminu, Mo Harkless, or Evan Turner, or anyone else, who is your pick? So, my pick, I think, is Alfaruk Aminu because the Blazers don't really have a power forward necessarily on like on the roster right now. I guess they have... No, they do. They, his name's Carmelo Anthony. They have a power forward on the roster. But he's he's shifted down because they don't really have a three. And I don't like any of the... I don't particularly like either of those other two playing the three with this lineup. Harkless would be fine. Turner proved to be a big game guy against the Nuggets last season. He was really, really good in game six and game seven to lift the Blazers to the Western Conference Finals. But Alfred Camino is my pick. He's the best defender and rebounder of the three. He would allow the Blazers to play more traditional lineups with him at the four where you could naturally kind of switch some pick and roll actions because of his versatility on defense. That said, Alfred Camino has proved to be a pretty big liability in the playoffs when teams can specifically scout what he doesn't do. And what he doesn't do is attack off the dribble at all, pass particularly well, and really shoot. He usually has about one game per series when he punishes a team for for totally ignoring him but for the most part teams can get away with uh helping way off of him and saying listen it's it's a long load up jump shot we will close out to it when we close out to it and he won't beat us so you know we don't think Alfred Camino can score 18 but he's not going to score 35 and win the game for him so I I do worry that my pick of Alfred Camino hurts them in the playoffs but I think for these eight games to get to the playoffs which is you know, the whole point, Aminu gives you the biggest boost of those, of of anyone from, from last year's roster, quite frankly. Although, I shout out to Seth Curry. I think he would help a lot. That was me complimenting a Duke graduate. Mark it down. Next question comes from Dave from Gmail, who asks, I've listened to Zach Lowe's recent interview with Myers Leonard. I was never a true believer in Myers while he was with the Blazers, but it seems that Miami has gotten more out of him considering he started for them all year and has been a reliable, if not efficient, contributor. Do you think Stotts never figured out how to incorporate Myers into a system, or is it more the result of a particular set of players surrounding Myers in Miami, or does none of it matter considering he, as Myers Leonard, spent seven seasons in Portland and can't name a better beer than Stella Artois? Oh, man. What a... This was kind of a complimentary uh, email about Myers Leonard. Then you dunked on him for liking Stella Artois. Yeah, I mean, some people like uh, loggers. The man likes Stella Artois and Coors Lights. Um, You know, teach their own. Lay off. But yeah, I think, I do think you hit on what it is. In Miami, Myers Leonard has to do a really specific thing. He plays a limited role as the starting center, and then they downsize at the end of the game to play Bam Adebayo at four or at five, but Bam starts at four and Myers guards the big physical centers to kind of let Bam use his defensive versatility and not just be stuck playing every single, uh, you know, the biggest player on every single roster. Um, it's a good plan. It's specifically, he's he's a really nice complement to what they want to do with Bam and Myers's ability to be a floor spacer and a little bit of a cutter in Miami system where they do emphasize more just straight up cutting uh, straight line cuts, I think, more than the Blazers system do. It allows Myers' athleticism to show a little bit. That said, he, he didn't set the world on fire. He just settled into a really specific role. And my criticism of Terry Stotts' use of Myers Leonard is that Terry bought into playing Myers a bunch uh, early in his career. Myers played, you know, a bunch of minutes in his first three seasons and then was injured in year four and he kind of got buried after that in the remaining years and only really played in break the glass type situations. And and I think my 
criticism of Terry is that instead of he was I, I feel like he treated Myers Leonard as a burden this sort of highly paid long tenured player who doesn't fit the plan as opposed to saying how can I be creative and figure out how to use what he specifically does he just and when Myers was in there he was really limited to p- only pick and pop actions you know he didn't roll to the rim very hard that might have been a Myers thing more than a Terry thing but I tend to think that was saying Myers you're our spacing center where when you're in there you do spacing things I don't think I think Terry got frustrated with Myers' lack of development in those first four seasons, which definitely was true. Definitely was a thing that happened. He was a slow developer and really struggled on defense. And then when he maybe took some steps forward, Terry never gave him the leeway to really to really blossom in a specific smaller role. And I think that's what Miami has done really well with him. And it's okay that he thinks Stella Artois is a good beer. It's fine. Let's get over it. Okay, next question comes from Jeff from Gmail. Jeff asks, Jeff, you actually did send me two questions. I'm only going to answer one of them here because the other one, it needs more space. i got to let it breathe. I'm going to give it more space, try to answer it in a, in a podcast in the future. But Jeff asks, you keep harping on how bad the Blazers' defense was this year. However, I watched them and look at the data, and where they really stunk was defensive rebounding where we were near the bottom of the league and dead last in second chance points. So while we do lose perimeter defense, how much do you think the combo of Nurk and Zach will improve our rebounding defensively? And thus those numbers compared to what it was during the year. If we were just average in opponent second chance points, we would actually have a net positive point differential. So I guess what I'm asking is, in my opinion, our biggest weakness defensively was lack of rebounding when we get stops who couldn't get the ball back. If we correct that with elite offense, can't that be good enough? Yeah, Jeff, I mentioned this in the first answer, and I'm going to say it again in the second answer. I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid on this weird lineup. And defensive rebounding was one of the Blazers' biggest weaknesses. Second chance points they got crushed on. Carmelo Anthony has a reputation of being a good defensive rebounder for his position, but he was not that. He was a a below-average defensive rebounder on the court. Uh, Hassan Whiteside is a big dude who grabs a lot of rebounds, but I don't know if he's a good rebounder, if that makes sense. I don't think he helps, like, team rebounding necessarily. And... Damon CJ aren't really good rebounders at their positions and whoever was you know prior to Ariza they didn't really have a good rebounder not like Ariza is an elite rebounder but he's a little bit longer um they just didn't they didn't have lineups that were going to grab boards and I do think that was one of their big things they just got crushed on second chance points and they got crushed on second chance points in every way sometimes little bunnies sometimes being out of imbalanced or out of position and giving up long rebounds it was a it was a, a big deal for them so I do think you are correct and I'm, I've dr- I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on the Giant lineup. I do think you're right that when you when they're going to be bigger for all 48 minutes, they're probably going to have two seven-footers on the court for nearly every single minute of every single game, which is really something. So I do think that will make a big difference on the defensive glass. And one of the big things about playing defense is just ending the possession. And I think that will be... A big deal. So I do think there will be a they will you know what they were what twenty seventh in defensive rating this year. So what's if to normalize that that's something to be like nineteenth in the bubble. They'd be like one of the bottom three teams. Um, I I don't think they're going to jump up to an elite offense. But and here's why because I'm concerned that the trade off here for defensive rebounding and being big is that they're really slow in transition defense. They were not a particularly good transition defensive team before because Carmelo Anthony isn't exactly like he's I mean, he's just a 36 year old guy. He's just not he's not fleet as fleet of foot as he once was. So they were already bad in transition defense before. And now you're sliding down Melo in replace of Trevor Ariza. That's going to be a loss. And you're just 
natural transition defense, even just defensive instincts. That's a lot, that's a, a downgrade. And the two centers are going to be slower. So I worry that the trade-offs you make in defensive rebounding hurt you in transition defense. But the Blazers are a low turnover team, so maybe they won't have a lot of live ball turnovers. Maybe you can make up with it that way. But I do think that changing ends with with how slow they might be might hurt them. I do think in the half court they might take a big stride defensively. I just think the overall trade-off might be a little bit less. That's going to do it for today's show. I love Monday Mailbag. And I love all of you who make it happen. That's those of you who submit questions every week. Those of you who submit questions occasionally. Those of you who never submit questions and listen. Those of you who never submit questions and listen occasionally. All of you, I appreciate it. If you want to get involved, like I said at the top of the show, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. You can also help grow the show by telling your friends. And have your friends tell their friends. Just tell them to search Locked On Blazers wherever they already got podcasts. And we'll find us there, waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.